Welcome back to the 18th Century Podcast. I'm your host, CJ. In today's episode, we'll be looking at the life of an interesting fellow, Timothy Dexter. Imagine this. The village idiot, through sheer dumb luck, became extremely wealthy. This episode was inspired by the YouTuber Sam Onella. If you haven't seen his video yet, I highly recommend watching it. I'll provide a link in the uh, link to the video in the on the script page for this episode. The this episode will be uh, probably will be a bit on the shorter side too. If you'd like to read the script for this episode and its citations, go to 18thcentury.home.blog. That's 18thcentury.home.blog. Type the numbers, don't spell them. Alright, let's get into the early life of Timothy Dexter. Lord Timothy Dexter was born on January 22, 1747, in a town called Malden. Malden was a little north of Boston. His family originally hailed from Ireland. He was from a poor family, and his family would labor on a farm, and Timothy, Timothy grew up working at the soil. He received very little in the way of education as well. When he was eight years old, young Timothy went off to start his career working on a farm. He quit his job when he was 14 and moved down to Charleston, South Carolina. He would end up becoming an apprentice of leather work for garments. When he was 16 years old, he headed back up to Boston and continued his apprenticeship. Though the trade he was taking up was considered to be lower class, the business was doing well. Those he apprenticed under became masters of Moroccan leather, which was in high demand. When he turned 21, Timothy Dexter had completed his apprenticeship. His apprenticeship. As was the custom of the time, those he apprenticed under gave him a freeman suit, which he sold for $8.20. Timothy then moved to Charlestown neighborhood, which was a, a part of Boston. He found himself a neighbor to the likes of John Hancock and other wealthy individuals. He would set up shop, and just before the Boston Tea Party occurred, he met a woman named Elizabeth Frothingham. Elizabeth was a wealthy widow and a mother to four. Our boy Timothy charmed this woman to the point of marriage. He would set up his new shop in his wife's home. He did, he did want to improve his station in life by moving up the social ladder, so he made the logical move to go into politics. Just a reminder that this man dropped out of school at the age of eight. He petitioned surrounding communities for a seat in public office. He kept asking and asking. Eventually, the town of Malden got sick of him asking for public office, so they invented one for him. At this point in his life, young Timothy was given the uh, government position of Informer of Deer. Under his new office, Timothy was required to keep track of the local deer population. However, the last known deer in the area had died 19 years prior to the creation of his office. Happy that he had fulfilled a public service, Timothy Dexter wished to expand his wealth. After the Revolutionary War had concluded, Timothy came up with the brilliant scheme of buying up Continental Dollars. Which, if you didn't know, the Continental Dollars went belly up during the war. That's where the phrase, not worth the Continental, came from. Some of the wealthier men during the time took it upon themselves to buy up some of the worthless bills in an attempt to restore trust in the currency. 
Timothy looked at what his peers were doing and decided to do the same. However, he didn't just purchase a few Continentals, no, he spent all of his money and his wife's money on worthless pieces of paper. His purchases were for pennies on the dollar. Anyone back then would tell you that it was a dumb decision at the time. Yet, after the Constitution was ratified, the new federal government bought up the old Continentals in exchange for treasury bonds for 1% of face value. Since Timothy purchased the Continentals at a fraction of the cost, he made a killing off the treasury bonds and his wealth skyrocketed. His wife and himself were living in the town of Newburyport, Massachusetts at this point. Newburyport was a coastal town where there were less divide between the upper and lower classes and people mingled amongst themselves a bit more. Uh, so yeah, Timothy Dexter wasn't very liked in Boston, but he fared a little better in Newburyport. Though he would remain unpopular with his neighbors given his poor manner of speech and his conduct. Even though he wished for acceptance of the upper class, he never exactly got it. Timothy wanted to live in style at his newfound home. He ordered the construction of a chateau overlooking the waters. He invested a portion of his wealth into a fleet of shipping vessels too. Outside his chateau, he ordered, a, he ordered the construction of 40 statues of important American figures. He also ordered the construction of a statue of himself with the words inscribed below it saying, quote, I am the first in the East, the first in the West, and the greatest philosopher in the Western world, unquote. Yet Timothy had contributed nothing to philosophy at this point in his life. Due to embarrassment, his wife eventually moved out of their home, but still st somewhat stuck around him. Timothy's son wanted to be, oh, he did have kids, by the way. Uh, Timothy's son wanted to be around his father more, so the two of them lived together. Uh, they would regularly throw massive parties. His home, by some, was compared to the likes of a brothel. Now, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to take a look into Timothy Dexter's business dealings. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. We'll continue the second half of this episode with the business dealings of Timothy Dexter and his later life. Timothy was making plans to break into international trade. His neighbors, wanting to bankrupt him, decided to give him a helping hand with some business advice. They told him to sell bed warming pans to the West Indies, a very tropical and warm location. Timothy was happy with this advice, and he purchased about 40, 42,000 of these bed warming pans for shipment. His neighbors and other merchants were laughing at him for taking such foolish advice. When, the, when his uh, shipments arrived at the West Indies, the locals didn't have much need for them as bed warming pans, but they were sold off and used as ladles to sugar and molasses plantations. Timothy sold uh oh my apologies Timothy sold out at a markup of 79%. The ships returned and Timothy 
had uh, expanded his wealth greatly. Another business venture he indulged himself in was rounding up stray cats and shipping them to the Caribbean, which the cats were purchased to catch mice, and Timothy walked away uh, making a profit. He also had the idea of purchasing large amounts of whale bones, but as luck would have it, Corsets were becoming in greater demand in France at the time, so he sold off the whale bones to be used in the construction of corsets, thus making a profit off of this venture. One of his neighbors wished to make Timothy out to be a fool. His neighbor instructed Timothy to ship coal to Newcastle. Unbeknownst to Timothy, Newcastle was a large coal mining town. His neighbors thought that would do him in for sure. Besides, what idiot would ship coal to a coal mining town? Well, our boy Timothy bought up, bought up tons of coal and had it shipped to Newcastle. But when the shipment of coal arrived at this coal mining town, all the coal miners were on strike. Timothy sold his coal at a premium price. Another venture involved him selling Bibles. Here's what he did. He bought Bibles at wholesale at the low cost of 12% under half price, which would have been around 41 cents each per unit. He had them shipped off to the West Indies to be sold. He had, people, uh, he had the people of the West Indies informed that if they wished to get to heaven, every family had to get a Bible. He had 21,000 unions to sell, and by the end of it, Timothy profited about $47,000. Timothy would continue his lavish expenditures throughout his life. He would gain notoriety for his antics as well. Though he was looked down on by upper society, it didn't faze him. As the years went on, his drive for more and more attention grew. He would get an assortment of local friends, but few were genuine. Some were even as eccentric as himself, but without the wealth. Wanting to change things up a bit, he moved to Chester, New Hampshire for a time. While he was there, he gave himself the title of Lord, and began to refer to himself as Lord Timothy Dexter. During his time in Chester, he would pursue women. Remember, just a reminder, the man is married at this time still. He was also beaten up by a lawyer at some point in his stay in New Hampshire, and after the stint with the lawyer, he moved back to Newburyport. He purchased a new estate for himself, becoming more aware of his own unpopularity. You know, as years went on, he decided to fake his own death to see what the populace truly thought of him. He paid for an elaborate tomb for himself and also commissioned a coffin for himself made from fine mahogany wood. He would test it out and ended up sleeping in the coffin to much comfort for several weeks. His wife and children were let in on the scheme, and a couple of trusted men as well. He instructed his family to act, act the part, and treat it as if it were a real funeral. On the big day, about 3,000 people were in attendance. Expensive alcohol was served. People were mourning his passing, and his daughter seemed distraught. The only one who seemed not playing their part was his wife. He followed her into the kitchen away from his hiding spot and began beating her with a cane for not mourning enough. Eventually, some of the partisans 
wandered into the kitchen and saw a supposedly dead man beating his wife. Timothy then went on to the uh, rest of the people and partied like he never pulled the stunt. After some time, he realized he was getting older and decided to write his memoirs, titled A Pickle for the Knowing Ones, or Plain Truths in a Homespun Dress. It was 24 pages long, and it was published in 1802. He expressed many of his thoughts within it and gave the book away for free at the start, but it gained popularity and there were several reprints ordered. The book is famous for its misspellings and overall poor grammar. In the first edition, there were no punctuation marks anywhere in the book. After many complaints about the lack of punctuation, he added another page to the second edition of the book where he, where the uh, entire page was 13 lines of punctuation marks. He commented that uh, people could now put the punctuation anywhere they pleased. Uh, towards the end of his life, he became more genu generous. In his will, he had his estate divi divided up between his wife and children. He also gave a portion of his wealth to his friends. Lord Timothy Dexter would depart from this world on October 26, 1806. A man with his luck was probably welcomed into the loving arms of Providence. Wow, what a guy. I did not expect to discover a man with such an eccentric life. Again, I'd like to thank the YouTuber Sam Onella for making a video about Timothy Dexter. On the script page for this episode, I will post Sam's video for you to check out, and I highly recommend checking out the video and his channel, he's just a very entertaining YouTuber. The script and citations for this episode and all other episodes can be found at 18thcentury.home.blog. That's 18 thcentry.home.blog. Type the numbers, don't spell them. If you'd like to support the show, please share it and leave a review. It really does help and it means a lot if you do. I've been your host CJ, and thanks for listening to this episode of the 18th Century Podcast.